0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org.
1: Good morning. The scripture today is Psalm 101. If you could please turn to Psalm 101. It is a Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O oh Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O, oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes any, anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Hey, Park Church. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's my privilege to open up God's word with you. Uh, We're going to find ourselves in Psalm 101 today. Uh, We're continuing on in our Christ in the Psalms series. Uh, And we're looking at Psalm 101, which is uh, known as a royal psalm because it was written by King David, the king over Israel. But before we open it up together, why don't we pray together and ask for God to speak. So Father God, we come before you right now and we know we are needy people. Um, we cannot change ourselves. And apart from your grace and the work of your spirit, we will not be able to hear what you want us to hear today. And so, Spirit, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today from your word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are now halfway through this year, 2020. We're six months in, and I have a question for you. How are you doing with those New Year's resolutions? Can you remember those? Like the other question is, can you even remember what your resolutions were? Uh, And I think we should just right now determine uh, that everyone gets a pass on those unfulfilled resolutions. Does that sound good? Uh, I think so. It's been a crazy year. Um, And unless your resolutions were to self-isolate, or to wear a mask, or to avoid restaurants, you've probably struggled keeping your commitments this year, which is completely understandable due to the challenges we've faced this year. So just go ahead and give yourself a break. Now I mentioned this idea of New Year's resolutions because that's what Psalm 101 feels like when you read it. It sounds like someone at the beginning of a new year making all kinds of promises that are going to be really, really challenging to keep. Now the reason it sounds that way is because this is David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, making some commitments either right before he's about to inherit the throne of Israel or right after he already had. And he's making some promises. He's making some resolutions as to the to type of king he's going to be. And the type of kingdom he's going to rule over. So we we already read it, but let's just go back together just briefly and look over Psalm 101 and and see what those resolutions were, what those promises were that David was making. Uh, You'll notice the psalm is broken up in two halves. All right, so you have verses 1 through 4 where David is making some commitments about himself Um, that how he was gonna live with integrity, how he personally was gonna live a blameless life, how he was gonna pursue holiness and righteousness in his own personal life. And then you'll see verses five through eight, where you will see how he was gonna pursue those things and try to enforce those things in the kingdom of Israel that he was gonna be ruling over. So let's just go through it quickly. Let's look at verse one. Notice the individual promise he's making here. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. God, I'm going to sing of your unending faithful love. I'm going to sing of your justice. Your kingdom is known as a just kingdom and and I want to rule that way. So I'm going to sing and worship you in that way. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sing to you. I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to give you glory. Verse 2, he says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I'm going to think about. I'm going to meditate on your way, your character, your desire for your people. That's the way that is blameless. And God, I'm going to think about those things. But but beyond that, just thinking about it, look what he says, I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I'm not just going to think about integrity or blamelessness. I'm also going to walk with integrity of heart in my house. And you got to love that. What a commitment. He's saying, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to focus on how I look out there, how everybody perceives me when I'm in public. I want it to start in private, God. I want to be a king who is genuine and authentic and real with you in my own house where, where others will not be able to see me. He goes on in verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless now imagine how difficult that would be in the day and age we're living in i will not set before my eyes eyes, anything that is worthless that just means empty vain unimportant superficial anything that's worthless i'm not even going to allow my eyes to look at those things and he says i hate the work of those who fall away It shall not cling to me. Now, notice he doesn't say I hate those people who are falling away from your will, falling away from your ways. He says, "I just, I just hate the work of that—that their evil deeds, that sinfulness, that way that is walking away from God." He's saying, "I hate that, and I don't, I won't even let it cling to me." Incredible commitments, incredible resolutions he's making. And then he ends the section on his personal life with verse 4. He says, A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. I will know nothing of evil. That's not talking about just head knowledge. That's talking about experience. He's saying, I am not going to allow myself to be involved in anything that is evil. What incredible commitments, incredible resolutions he's making here. But he doesn't just stop with himself personally. He also makes some resolutions, some commitments to the kind of kingdom he wants to rule over and how he's going to enforce what he's going to practice privately out into the kingdom. And you'll see that in verses 5 through 8. He says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. And this is... uh, you know, one of the reasons it's called a royal psalm. Only a king in Israel would have had that kind of power to destroy people who were slandering their neighbors. He says, Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. Right? So he's going to surround himself with those who are serving God and living for God. He wants to be influenced by those kind of people. He says, he who walks in the the way that is blameless shall minister to me. I'm only gonna let people serve me and minister to me um, who are following God. Verse seven, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. Nobody is gonna be living in my house who's practicing deceitful ways. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes, which is really wise for a king, by the way. Here he is saying, I'm not going to be influenced. I'm not going to get information from people who are lying. I won't even let them before my eyes. And then in verse 8, once again, he's going to, he's going to talk about the, the power that he's going to have, that only a king would have. He says, morning by morning. In other words, what he's about to say is something he's going to practice every single day. I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Wow. Strong commitments, amazing resolutions that David here promised to make to God and about his kingdom. Now, the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with all that we heard today? How do we apply a passage like this to our lives in June of 2000? And 20. Let me just give you a couple ways I believe we can apply it or a couple observations from the passage, uh, and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper together. First, in this passage, we see a healthy pattern for confronting and dealing with sin. Did you see that? A healthy pattern for confronting and dealing with sin. Now, where did we see that in the passage? Well, just notice the order. First, Look what David did. David started with himself. He didn't start with the kingdom. He didn't start with all these other people out there. He started with himself. He looked at himself first. He makes commitments for himself before he ever looks at anyone else. Right? Did you see it? Before he demanded righteousness from others in verses 5 through 8, he demanded righteousness Of himself in verses one through four. He knew what Jesus knew. What's that? That if you focus on everyone else while you have your own sin that you're overlooking, then you're what the Bible calls a hypocrite. And it leads to self deception, arrogance, and pride. And as The author of Proverbs 16, 18 said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, where did Jesus talk about this? This idea of making sure you look at yourself first before you try and take care of other people. Uh, If you would, look real quick at Matthew chapter seven. It's a very well-known passage, Matthew chapter seven. And we'll pick up, in verse three. Now, if you remember the context here, Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's commanding his disciples uh, in the Sermon on the Mount to not be judgmental, all right? He's saying, don't be self-righteous, don't be judgmental. Notice this beginning in verse three, and it's pretty hilarious when you think about it. I imagine Jesus kind of illustrating it with actual things here. So look at verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, that that little piece of dust. Why are you looking at that little piece of dust in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? So get the imagery. Uh, Imagine having this huge log sticking out of your eye, and you're overlooking that, and you're trying to reach past it to try and pull a little speck of dust out of somebody else's Do you see how silly that is? How crazy that is that we would do that. And that's exactly the point. And Jesus is saying, we do that all the time. Don't be like that. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like the Pharisees. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. Notice what Jesus says in verse five, you hypocrite first Take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Wow. Incredible. This is incredibly applicable for all of us in our daily lives. Why? Because the easiest thing to do. Is to point out the fault of others and the shortcomings of others, and overlooking our own sin and our own fallenness and our own shortcomings. And in so doing, we become just like the Pharisees that Jesus had to continually confront—well, self—confront self, their, confront their self-righteousness and their spiritual pride. However, in this season that we find ourselves in, I believe it's absolutely essential that this practice of examining ourselves before we examine others be on the forefront of our mind. And let me give you two reasons why one, the coronavirus and two, the social injustice we see happening in our country, in our own community. Now let me back it up and explain what I mean. First, let's talk about how people are responding and reacting differently to the pandemic, I think you've probably already experienced this. Not everyone will agree with you on on this issue. Not everyone will respond the same way in their daily lives. And it's crucial, according to the teaching of Scripture, that you check yourself regularly. If you don't, you'll be susceptible to pride and judgmentalism. The other is what we're seeing happening now. We've been seeing it for now for a couple weeks. The protesting or the speaking out on racial injustice that we see in our society. And David would say and Jesus would say, before you hit the streets with signs, before you jump on social media, investigate yourself in what ways, if any, are you guilty of judging people by their outward appearance? Maybe it's the color of their skin. Maybe it's their lack of education. Maybe it's their political views. Maybe it's the fact that they don't protest in the way that you think they should. Now, please make sure, hear me clearly, by all means, Protest if you believe that's what you should do, or speak out in other ways about the injustice we see happening in the world. Just make sure you're investigating your own heart and repenting of your own sin before you start to castigate the ways others are responding. Because if you don't, pride, arrogance, and judgmentalism will overshadow your good and godly desire for justice in the world. Now notice this. Jesus in Matthew 7 did not say, don't confront other Christians or other people about their sin. He he did not say that. That's not what he was teaching there. He did not say, don't confront those in power about their abuse of power. He said, make sure you've confronted yourself first Then you'll be able to humbly, graciously, and more accurately confront others. Now, as you've probably heard already over the last couple weeks, uh, this summer we're encouraging everyone to participate in a few practices to to allow the teaching of the Psalms to take root in our hearts. That's the goal. We want to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ in our daily lives. And one of those practices is praying through the Psalms and applying the Psalms in a weekly basis. So here's something I want to encourage you. My hope is that this week we would take some time, uh, walk around our neighborhoods and the city, and ask God to reveal to us ways we've been judgmental towards our neighbors or maybe other sins we've been harboring in our hearts, as you're walking around the neighborhood, as you're walking around the city, ask for God to reveal that to you. And be asking also that God's kingdom would come in fresh power in the city. And why would we do that? Well, remember what Jesus said. He said, pray that your kingdom would come, God, that God's your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, another application from this passage or another Observation from this passage is this, <laughs> and this is probably going to be encouraging. David didn't fulfill his promises to God. <laughs> all right, so if, if you look at that and go, oh man, David was amazing, I can't believe he made all those promises. Will you just be reminded like not even King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel, kept his promises to God? And here's the unfortunate reality either have we, and either will we. The prophet Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 53 6. He said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way. The apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 3, verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the apostle John said, those who would deny that they have fallen short of God's standard, in verse John, 1 John 1, through 8-10, he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice this. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, or probably better translated, we make him out to be a liar. We make him out as if he's a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, to see this reality that David didn't even fulfill his own promise, his own commitments, I want you to see this in the text. Notice this. David promised God in verse 2 that he would ponder the way that is blameless and walk And uh, and walk in integrity of heart within his own house. Yet it was from the rooftop of his own house that he noticed Bathsheba bathing herself in the house right next door, right next door to the palace. He's the one who sent his servant from his house to her, to her, to, to bring her to him. He's the one who abused his power and authority in his house. Raped her in his house. And had her husband killed to cover up his sin. Or how about David promising in verse 7. That no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. And yet it was his own son from his house, Absalom who tried to steal the kingdom away from his father his own father David and in 2 Samuel 15 it says that Absalom used to rise up early and stand beside the gate that's in verse 2 of 2 Samuel verse 15 And what he would do is he would be there, he would lie to the people, tell them that his father, the king David, wasn't fulfilling his responsibilities. And if he were the king, that would never happen. And it goes on to say in verse 6, So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So those commitments that David made early on in his reign, he was not able to keep himself. Now, (laughs) before we get too hard on David... Let's remember the true words of Isaiah the prophet. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way. Notice that. Each one of us have turned to our own way. Not to God's way, but rather to our own way. But thanks be to God, our failures do not have the last word. Amen? Our failures do not have the last word. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus came and obeyed in all the ways that we have failed. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, 17, when he says, I've not come to abolish the law, do away with God's law. No, I've actually come rather to fulfill God's law. Where we, through our our own actions and our own attitudes, are often the antithesis of God's kingdom lifestyle. Jesus is the perfect expression of everything that is good and right and just. He came to do what we could have never done for ourselves, which is live a perfect life of obedience so that through faith in him, through faith in Jesus, his perfection becomes our perfection. His obedience becomes our obedience. His holiness becomes our holiness. And I would say, in the midst of all the insanity in our world right now, that's something to celebrate. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Father, we thank you that our failures and our faults are not the last word. We thank you that Jesus came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We've promised as followers of Jesus, to to live out the way of Jesus. And so often we fall short of that. And So God, I thank you that by your grace and your mercy, through Christ, you see us as holy and blameless children of the kingdom of God. So we praise you and we thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Now, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. Uh, And before we do that, we want to take some time to reflect on what God might be saying to us. Again, we don't want to just simply be hearers of the word, but we want to, by God's grace, be doers of his word. So here's the question, just something to, to think about, to reflect on before we receive communion. In what ways have you been avoiding the log in your own eye to point out the speck in other people's eyes? And during this time, be honest about it and confess it to the Lord. If we're all honest, we struggle with this. So what is God revealing to you in your life right now? And then also just take a moment and thank Jesus for doing for you what you could never do for yourself. Thank him for taking the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin, that he took that on himself. Thank him for taking the initiative to come to us. Thank Him that He didn't wait around for us to come to Him. Rejoice in that truth. Then, when we come back together, we'll receive communion as one family in Christ.